Hey, let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you. Uh, just uh, uh, we can give testimony to the amazing, amazing things you've done these last three days. Uh, we're overwhelmed by the work that we see you do around the world. Um, truly, um, the faith of a mustard seed can do powerful things. So thank you for that encouragement we received. So, Lord, I pray for all of us as we go out of this conference that we would uh, have heard from you and walk in obedience to what you've called us to do. Lord, we pray for those 3.1 billion people that have little or no access to the gospel. Lord, we pray uh, you would send the workers there. Will you do this, Jesus, for your glory? In your name we pray. Amen. Let me read a little scripture here. This is from Ephesians 2. And I'm not going to read it word by word, but I'll just paraphrase for you what it says. And um, basically, I, I can relate to this, and many of us can relate to this, because we were destined and we deserved wrath from God. And we, uh, we gratified the cravings of our flesh and followed its desires and thoughts. Um, but God, because of his great love and mercy through his son Jesus Christ, through his grace, saved us. And then he seats us in the heavenly realms right next to our brother Jesus and our Lord Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace and his kindness. For it is by grace we've been saved through faith, and this is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, not by what we do, so that we can't boast. We can only boast in Jesus. But then he closes with this little section with uh, Ephesians 2.10. And it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, um, Part of my prayer was, I'm just hearing story after story after story of how yeast can affect the whole loaf. How one couple going to a remote area can have such dramatic effect and impact that uh, is amazing to see. So I've been in missions for um, really 21 years or so. So I've been around long enough that I can see uh, what God has done. And so if we're faithful and we walk with him and trust trust him that we are his workmanship, that he has, in fact, prepared works for us to do, and he will do it. So um, I just want to give testimony to that, and I think Rahel summed it up well with um, Mark Twain's quote when she said, Worse than dying uh, is not knowing what you're born for, from Mark Twain. So each of us has been given a task uh, and work that, God is prepared. So I'm a golfer, so it's like he's put the golf ball on the tee. Now he said, just swing the club because he's already prepared the path for us. So I, um, a little bit about me. My name is Charlie Vitito. I'm the missions pastor here. Uh, it's a huge honor to host this conference for our church. We, this is a highlight of the year for many of our staff to welcome uh, you guys that are doing some great work around the world. But before that, I was a dentist right down the road. And um, so God gave me this burden uh, for dentistry because I know a lot about it. 
and I uh, would travel the world and I would treat patients all over the world. But when it was time to come home, what happened? There's all these people left untreated. And so through some divine intervention, I became very uncomfortable with that, that leaving all these people un, untreated. So um, a, a friend of mine challenged me. And so instead of going to frontier mission areas and doing dentistry, we started training people. And this burden that I had for the people <clears throat> suffering and even dying in some situations because of, of dental problems, we were able to train folks around the world to treat people um, in their own community. So when we left to come home, all the skills, all the tools, everything they needed. And I just want to advocate that this is the model of missions, that um, these things that, that God has given us, that he's received from us, these skills, uh, these attitudes, he wants us to, to use and leverage for his kingdom. So, um, so just examine yourself and, and what are the skills, the temperament, the passions, the burdens, the trials, even trials, even our failures, <clears throat> God wants to use. So each one of us has a unique burden. Many of you I know in here, and I can point to you, I said, I know your burden, but it's unique to you. And, and God wants to use that. It's one of those things that you wake up every morning and you say, this should not be. And God wants to use that. So I just ask you to take um, inventory in your own heart and then go with God on that because it can bear great fruit. We heard it a little bit. Um, uh, just a quick story. Who saw Kyle's sermon Friday? Or it was Friday morning. Yeah. So you remember when uh, he he broke the stick and he had the fake fruit hanging off of it. When he when he preached a similar sermon to our church, he he did this little role play with God, in that now he's in heaven. Kyle's in heaven. He he meets God and. God's sitting at his desk, and he opens a drawer, and he pulls out this magazine. And in the magazine, um, God opens. He goes, look, wow, Kyle, you were the senior pastor of the fourth largest church in the country. That's really pretty impressive, Kyle said. Yeah. And then God says, let me ask you a question. You know, um, while you were the senior pastor, 41% of the single moms in your community lived in poverty. Kyle said, huh. And so he, he said, God said, what about that? And um, so it's convicting and it's, um, the church is called to be relevant. And when we have these issues right under our nose, um, like that, and it's a true statistic for our community, then God calls us to do something about that. So the church is here to change the community. The church is here to make disciples, to, to, to bring people to Jesus, but we're also to be a change agent in the community. So when we have these skills like dentistry, and we can pass these skills on to others around the world, we're making those churches and those communities more relevant to those communities. And this is the pattern. This is... Um, the new model, I would say, for missions, especially for the U.S. So we know we have 3.1 people, billion people without uh, the gospel. Um, 
the evangelistic efforts of the missionaries over the last 200 years have been amazing. And with a, a few exceptions, the church has been planted in a lot of places. And so the role of Americans now is to take these things that we have, um, healthcare skills, uh, whatever skills that we have, and take it to uh, these rural churches that can really use these skills to impact their community. The same is true for, oh, thank you, my friend. Terry Jackson is the best. For example, if we look at the global church, if you want to learn how to evangelize a Muslim and take the gospel to the heart of a Muslim, some of the best models that we can see are out of Africa. So that specific skill and gift that Africans have, specifically West Africans, they need to share with the world to help us be more effective in evangelism. So I'm going to talk for a few more minutes. I'm going to have my friend come up and share a little bit. But I want to share this one story about how this applies to us. So this is our map, um, digital map. The green dots represent churches uh, in two different parts of the world. And we converged on the red dot, which is in northern Ghana. Has anybody been to Tamale, Ghana? A few? Well, yeah, there we go. These are my friends. I've been to Tamale. So... uh, Tamale is in northern Ghana. It's predominantly Muslim, maybe 60 to 70% Muslim community. The church is there, but the church um, has a, um, it's not easy. So these green dots represent teams from East Africa going to Tamale, Ghana, and teams from the U.S. going to Ghana. So this kind of shows the pathway. We converge in Tamale. The team from East Africa is there to prepare the church to be more relevant to its community, to, to do far more than just um, share their faith and bring people to Christ, but to be a change agent for the community. And when we send teams to Tamale from the U.S., those teams are short-term teams that go and pass along skills. So specifically, um, I'm going to talk about dental skills that were passed along. And so this is uh, what, men- what ministry looks like now. So the church in Tamale has been prepared by our friends from from Kenya. The American teams go, and in six days we we train folks how to extract teeth safely. And these are lay people. So the way the training works uh, is that um, we spend a day and a half uh, doing book work, teaching them how to basic anatomy of the of the of the mouth instrumentation, and then in the first afternoon, they're giving each other shots. So after six days of training, they've taken out more teeth in six days than I took out in four years of dental school. And then they're equipped now to go and serve their community to do that. So when we first started doing this, we said, okay, um, I remember being in Tamale, and we bring all of our, some of our instruments are pretty sharp, right? And pointy, and their needles, and we get it all out, we unload it, and then I look at these four guys we're going to train, and I got really nervous. I'm like, oh, Lord, what have I done? Uh, some of these guys had very little formal education. And so we started teaching them the basics on how to do this, and I was amazed how quickly they picked it up. 
So after six days, the first time we trained, I said, okay, don't take out lower wisdom teeth because the bone around those teeth are, is very dense. And then uh, be careful. Don't leave any root tips, and I think you're good to go. I go back a year later. They had, all these guys had taken out thousands of teeth. Their surgical skill level was amazing. So that gave us great confidence to move forward. And so that was 15 years ago. Now there's a whole cadre of dentists uh, from the U.S. that are going around the world training um, nationals through the church to meet the dental needs in their community. So who's had a toothache in here? Okay. My wife's grandmother had ten babies. Many toothaches. She said, I'd rather have a baby any day than to have a toothache. That's the level of pain we're talking about. So when you take a, a Hindu priest or a Muslim imam and you set them in the chair, and they're only there because their pain is so intense, so these things that they believed about you uh, kind of fade away because this pain overwhelms them. And uh, you can pray for them, you can talk to them, you can develop a relationship with them. And when we can pass on our skills of healthcare to others, uh, those of you guys that are in healthcare know what happens. When a patient lays down in a chair in a very vulnerable position and they open their mouth and they let you in, they say they trust you. You two are no longer casual acquaintances. You're friends for life. You don't pass each other on the street anymore and say, you can't not not wave. So that's the power of healthcare. That's why Jesus sent his disciples out to preach the good news and to heal the sick. So there's a connection between the good news and healing. So if we can take those things that God has given us here in the U.S. and share it with the global church, this 3.1 billion, 3.1 billion will go away. And, uh, and we'll usher in the return of Jesus. So when I first started doing this 15 years ago, I got a lot of criticism from my colleagues. You're doing what? Oh, that's dangerous. That's bad news. So we can't be cavalier about it. We did studies, a double-blinded study, comparing surgical outcomes of American dentists to these guys that we trained. And the study indicated that there was, the patients were totally satisfied they saw no difference in the level of care that they received. The guys that we trained, we teach them to, to take longer to take the tooth out, so the risk of dry socket's a little higher, and they did have a higher dry socket rate. You know what dry socket is? That's when after you extract the tooth, the, the socket doesn't heal properly, so it's, it's pretty painful, but it's self-limiting. So uh, we, we've proven that this is a safe way to go. And after 15 years of doing it, we can give testimony. So this is a model. So what is the skill that God has given you? Maybe it's physical therapy or occupational therapy or how to deal with trauma. Uh, this is a huge issue. How can we go equip the church around the world to deal with this? It's amazing what God can do in six days if you just let him. So um, here's another example. Uh, just real quick. See that little building in the back, that's a, a church in a remote village in northern Ghana. The church is busting at the seams. 
So the missionaries from Kenya are there, and I'm there with them. This is, uh, I'm standing there with, with Francis Bukachi and Pamela Bukachi. So the, the pastor in the Ghanaian church says, oh, you're with white folks. Oh, I know how they operate. Um, so he says, can you bring these white folks from America and come over and build a church for us? Because our church is busting at the seams. And uh, Francis, what, what does he say? No, build your own church. He goes, what? We don't have the resources to do that. And he goes, um, have a capital campaign. Ask your people to give because you need a bigger church because there's no place to sit. So they do that. And he goes, Francis then said, now start making your own block. Don't, don't expect the Americans to come over. So this is them making their own block, tens of thousands of blocks. This is uh, before, they, of course, they, they built it. It's now built, and not one penny came from the U.S., not one penny. Now, I think there was a season for this. And I, I'm not here to be critical of our forefathers that built churches all around the world. That was the appropriate th- thing to do at the time. But now it's a new day. And this church is stronger and healthier because they did it themselves. So this is, this is our model about how, how to approach this. Any questions about this strategy? So you're going to go train people in dentistry. What do the local dentists say about that? What does the Ministry of Health say about that? Right? Isn't that a concern? How can you teach these guys to do that? So that's the importance of partnership. Because we trust our partner to make that decision and to evaluate that. Because when we train folks, we're leaving. They're the ones that have to deal with the Ministry of Health and others. So... And every country is different, and they get that figured out on their own. So that's a common question we get about training people in dentistry around the world. So I want to bring up now my friend, uh, Dr. Tony Weeder, who is, he and his wife are from Liberia. And he's going to share his thoughts on um, what this looks like when the global church goes together. Thank you, Tony. morning um, from Charlie to me and when you talk here about dental work I'm just crunching <laughs> is that you have your hands in my mouth what choice do I have <laughs> to say no or yes uh, yeah I'm from West Africa like you said and we talk in parables so I'm going to teach you one uh, we have one in West Africa that says that if you think you are too small or maybe too little uh, not to bring about change wherever you are. It means that you have never spent a night with a mosquito in the bed. <laughs> Has any of you spent a night with a mosquito? Huh? Did it change your life by adding chance? Yes. Uh, the next morning you're looking for, you know, you wanted to change, you know, you wanted to bring about change. So why am I saying this? Is that when you cannot leave from here and go back home, 
and not bring about change. You can't get all this information and then come back next year and wanting some more. And you can leave from here and not call me. Tony, do you have anywhere that I can go and minister? Uh, we have, we are all over the world. And we will, and those that have maybe 18, 20 years old, you can tell your mom, you say, if you think I'm giving you a problem, please call Tony and he will solve your problem. And I will take you to Africa, I will take you to Asia, I will take you to Latin America. So please keep that in mind, uh, that we are here anytime. Uh, you want to go out, you want to bring about change, just give us a call and we will help with that immediately. Uh, like you said, I'm Tony. Uh, yesterday I forgot a little bit of that, but um, I came out of Islam. You see, when you hear Islam, the first thing that comes to mind is what? Be real. Islam, the word Islam, what comes to mind? Terrorism. Terrorism. Uh, no. These are people that are struggling with their credit card debts. Uh, 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 <laughs> their children are giving them problems. They are, I mean, they are fighting against modernity, uh, postmodernism. Uh, they, they come to a country that believes that there's no such thing as absolute truth. That statement alone is an oxymoron, and there's no absolute truth, you know. It's like you're sitting on the branch and cutting it down, and you said, I'm okay. Uh, you come to a culture where it's very individualistic, and you are wondering, okay, how do I relate to these people? Uh, you, you, you order Islam, you're wondering, well, how can they sit next to women in church? Uh, that's that's what on his mind, and he said, oh, he's a terrorist. And they're thinking, uh, I thought these people said they were Christians. You know, ha, ha, ha. What, what, look, abortion. And so they are so angry, and you are so angry that you're a terrorist, and they are so angry that you're so loose. You know, <laughs> I mean, and one of your finest philosophers, you know, Lady Gaga, you know, they, 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 <laughs> oh, you know about her? Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they, they are concerned about her, and you are concerned about them. Uh, these are the things, these are the friction, these are the cultural clash uh, that you guys are going through with one another. And, 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 and they are concerned about you. How, 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 how can you be? You call yourself Christian. I mean, a wonderful Christian by the name of, you know, Madonna. You know, they, 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 you see. And then how can they do that? You know, or Oprah, that your finest new age philosopher, uh, and, and, and all of these things. So that's the cultural clash. And then we see, but these people are terrorists. No. They are lost. They need Christ. And only the church can change that. And then you sit also here, you're fighting over racism, and we are in Africa fighting over languages. <laughs> you know, you are from another tribe, I'm from another tribe. Only the church can step in that and change it. When we come together, it takes two hands to wash one, uh, like we say in West Africa. You know, uh, and it takes time. You see, when I was a Muslim, if you say that it's a life and death issue, but then you are not willing to spend five or ten minutes with me to tell me about life and death issue, you don't have time at all. You see, it is one thing to say that you love a leper. It's another thing to shake their hands. Okay? Or for you to sit with them and eat with them. I think it was D. Lord Jones in his book, Preaching and a Preacher. He said that it is one thing to love preaching, but do you love those you're preaching to? And there were we as Christians, as we go 
to the culture, as we enter the culture, and we'll talk about that some more, uh, uh, we always make that mistake, but it took love, someone who really loves me. And out of what? Allah has 99 names in Islam. There are 114 chapters in the Quran. There are over 7,000 verses in the Quran. And all of this in the Hadith, in the Sunnah, and all of this. There's not one that says that Jesus or God loves me. And if I can see that in you, the only test Jesus left with us, or left with the world, he said, this is how you would know these men and women are my followers. By what? That's it. It's not my preaching. Uh, it's not the way I cook. I love cooking, but people don't like eating it. But I love to cook. <laughs> okay? But this is where we are. By your love for one another, people will see it as, oh, they're different. And this is where, and that's how I came to Christ. Briefly, there was a global gathering, but you start from Acts chapter 1. First of all, Acts chapter 1 verse 6. What's on the mind of the disciples? The kingdom. He said, at this time you're going to restore Israel's kingdom back to us. Uh, A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of uh, God, he says that before the kingdom of God comes, yours must go. You can't be sitting under and say, Hallelujah, be thy name, thy kingdom come. No, before his kingdom comes, you have to get off yours. And this is why the disciples said, Jesus said, it is not for you to know the time or place, but stay in Jerusalem. And power will come, and when that power come, start the ministry, start this global gathering. And when they receive that power in chapter 2, they are not leaving. When you read Acts chapter 2, verses 9 through uh, 11, especially 12, they said they were amazed about God, how people could hear uh, each other in their language. That's a global gathering. They're supposed to leave. But the incident about this global church moving south, it starts with Acts chapter 3. At a gate, at a beautiful gate, this man been sitting there for, for, no, for how long? 38 years. Peter and John comes and say, well, we have no money, but in the name of Jesus, get up. In fact, there's a famous saying that a young man went to, uh, how to call him, Thomas Aquinas. He said that the church can no longer say silver and gold have we not. Neither can they say to the lame man, get up and walk. We have no more power because our power is in money, our power is in other things. And, but then slowly when you come to chapter 4, you see, this global gathering, they are not leaving Jerusalem and we're supposed to leave Jerusalem. So when you read Acts 4.21, the leaders, the religious leaders start telling them, tune it down. And they are not doing it. So when you come to Acts 5.40, if not going to, they beat them. They really flock them. The NRV said they flock them. They beat them for their what? For their faith. But the beauty in that is that they left the house rejoicing. Uh, they, they did not use that instant, you know, instant grand account at all to post the beating and things like that, or their Twitter account or Facebook account. But they went to the church rejoicing that they were what? Being identified with Jesus Christ. They beat them for their message. 
and the church slowly started moving to the global south. And then when you come to Acts 7, 57, 58, uh, 59, Stephen is killed. And it is the beginning. It's not just global gathering, but it is the beginning of global scattering. See, that's what we do here. We are meddling in God's business all around the world. We're not minding our own business. We are minding God's business in Yemen, in, in, in Ghana, in Ethiopia, in Syria, in Somalia. We are going there. We are not afraid. We are standing on the shoulders of men and women who have gone ahead of us. Hebrews have a beautiful verse. They say there are clouds of witnesses cheering on us. They say we've been there. You can do it. We are standing with you. So we are not afraid to suffer. We are not afraid to die. We are not afraid to give our life for the cross because others have done it. In fact, when you come to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 31, 32, uh, when you read verse 32, it's almost like the author of the Hebrew is an African. He says, I don't have time. And then he takes 10 hours to explain, you know, what's... <laughs> he say, I don't have time to name Gideons, to name women. And he just goes on the joy of people who have gone ahead of us. It, it, it is just amazing, you know, what he's saying about these people who have gone ahead of us. How do you do this, child? Okay, that's what I'm doing, but is it moving? Yeah. You're not an apple guy. Yeah, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. ah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, okay, thank you. But it is just an amazing trip that we are on. And, you know, my son will call me, oh, it is really tough here in Colorado. I say, it's really tough in Colorado, yeah. Why don't you take the book of Job and read it in the, in the King James, you know, mm-hmm. and then call me back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, no whining here. Uh, but, uh, you see, we have come to see what? That mission is not what? Merely an activity. I mean, I love that statement. Missions is what we do. It is part. I think it was John Stott. In one of his books, he said that when you are killed, when, 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 when the people cut you, when you are being persecuted, when you are bleeding, you should bleed what? Bibbling. When your blood comes out, you should see the Bible in your blood. Every year we go through the Bible and the Bible never go through us. It is sad. It is really sad. Breathtaking. No, when I say breathtaking, it's not the election of Trump, okay? This breathtaking is quite different. Okay? Breathtaking. You see, uh, let me give you a quick story. Ethiopians. Ethiopian Christians. Uh, let me start with Kenyan Christians leaving Kenya. And Africans, you know, but sometimes when you read Genesis 12, you really have to take time and read it, read it slowly. They come to Abraham. Do what? Leave? Leave what? And what else? Your people. What? Your people. For we Africans to leave country... To leave your people because, okay, what do we say in Africa? We are, therefore I am. So we don't leave. So for Kenyan missionaries to leave Kenya, to leave their culture, to leave their maize, the food that they eat with their hands, 
the beauty of putting five fingers in your mouth every day to leave that. Get on the plane. Leave mom and dad. Leave cousins. Leave family to go to Ghana with a different accent. You speak Swahili. You don't understand their language even though we are Africans. The only thing they have in common is that they are British colonies. And to sit there and minister to those people, that is breathtaking. God is crossing culture. Three things we do. And the first thing with the, the Kenyan missionaries, they, they enter culture. To enter culture is one of the most difficult things, especially a strange culture that you don't know. Sometimes, again, the Yoruba of Nigeria said that faults are like mountains. You stand on yours and look at others. And so when you get into a culture, you are judging it. Oh, these people, look at the way they dress. I don't like that dress. Oh, they have an accent. Of course, that's part of my culture. You know, since I came to America, I have lost everything except my accent. And I'm not going to lose it, so don't even pray about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so you, this is breathtaking how the church of Jesus Christ is going beyond. And not just that. Let me tell you another story. Ethiopian missionaries are now, the church in Ethiopia are sending missionaries where? To China. And the Ethiopian missionaries are discipling these Chinese Christians that they have led to Christ and sending them back to Addis Ababa. Discipling them, and then these new converts, they are not sending them back to China. They are sending them back to Africa. Why? Because everywhere in Africa, the Chinese are everywhere. Over 100,000 Chinese are in Zambia. And so these people are exposed. They are now under the authority of the Communist Party. And so the African missionaries or the Chinese missionaries are now reaching Chinese in Africa. Why, why do you want to send Americans to China? When, when Chinese see Americans in China, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? To their mind? Can you guess? CIA. But when the Chinese see a Brazilian, what's the first thing that comes to their mind? Soccer. So we send the Brazilians. This, uh, 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 the Portuguese colonized Angola, Mozambique, and Guinea-Bissau. So now, the Brazilians, the largest Portuguese-speaking country in the world, are now sending missionaries to Angola, Mozambique, and Guinea-Bissau. And Africans are now sending, Nigerians are now sending missionaries to Chicago, to Washington, D.C. This is what God is doing. This is what Charlie was talking about, that when the global church come together, when we come together hand in hand, we enter culture. We don't just enter the culture. We also challenge the culture. Uh, and when I say challenge the culture, I love Americans. Literally, I love you guys. <laughs> because you are so curious. Oh, where are you from? You have an accent. Oh, I'm from Liberia. Oh, where is that? Uh, oh, Liberia. Oh, I know someone in Kenya. I said, well, yeah, but I'm from Liberia. <laughs> uh -huh. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. I mean, his name is... Uh, I said, yeah, I know. <laughs> 
But for, so what are you doing in America? And I said, oh, I came to study about God. God? And that's where I start. I challenge them. I never answer question. I always answer question with question. Socrates, right? And you made the answer so long that you forget the question. Yeah, that's the whole intent. And so, brothers and sisters, this is, this is not a guilt trip. This is a grace trip I'm taking you on this morning. Okay? That we, with the power of God, like Kyle said the other night, with the power of God, bend the branch, attached to the vine, we go anywhere. Anywhere, anytime. And we are not afraid. There's a tiny little verse in Philippians, what? 121. You remember that? Oh, come on. If you say it from memory, I will take you for lunch, I will pray you will pay, and then I will quote it to you. <laughs> okay? For to mean to die, yeah, it's Christ. And to live, it's gain. So don't be afraid. Philippians 1.29 It has been granted unto us not to just believe in Christ but to also die for Him. Suffer for Him. Granted. It's a gift. Suffering is a gift. I don't know how many of us fight over that. Again, the same breathtaking. I will soon stop so we can ask questions. Right, Charlie? Okay. Um, so we don't just enter culture or challenge culture will also appeal to culture. We have the evidence. And people say, you know, since I became Christian, I don't know what book to read. You have 66 books already in your, in your hand to start off with. So why not start with Obidaya? You know, it's just one chapter. And Obidaya is the name you think is so hard. Go to Philemon. And it's just one chapter, 25 verses. And I'll go to First Timothy. It's just, you know, six, six chapters. So start with those small ones, you know, before you go to Psalms. You know, because it, it, it will take you a while to go through the Psalms. Or go to Jeremiah if you want to. <laughs> well, my wife said the reason why Jeremiah never married, because every time he met a girl, he started crying. So, <laughs> so that's why they call him the weeping prophet. So he ended up not getting married. Oh, mom, I got a guy out here. What's he? He's crying. Oh, okay. No. No, No, we appeal to culture. We appeal to them. We have the evidence. We have the power of God in us. Jesus came and died. We have a story to tell to the nations. So we should not be afraid. And with that, your questions. It's your turn to talk. Any questions? This is your chance to know about Islam, Africa. Yes? Do you see a lot of sending agencies working together to like bring together multicultural and multinational uh, mission teams? Yeah. Yes. Are all of them kind of moving towards that? Yes, yes. You know, in fact, the Bible, uh, we are very tribalistic in Africa, uh, which you never used to do in America. But the more you move away from God, you are becoming tribal. You are either Republican or Democrat, or you have an adjective. I'm Liberian-American, you are Kenyan-American, and all these little things, because you have no central thing to rally around. You have become secular. You now live in a post-church, post-Christian culture, and with that, it's affecting everything you do. Uh, the, the, the lenses you used to look through before to, to call yourself the United States of America is not there 
anymore. Watch Francis Schaeffer. The Christian consensus is gone. But again, only the church can take care of racism. Not me. Okay? Slavery. If I had my will, I want to sleep in my house every day to bring me coffee. You see, it's not a problem of skin. It's a problem of sin. Yeah, so the only the church can bridge the gap of every the ill of society, you and I, uh, and only the best way when we, I love when I take young men like you to Africa and hold your hands. And I do that intentionally because in Africa, I will, I will never hold my wife's hands. But as my friend, I will hold your hands. Can you imagine me holding your hand in the street of Louisville? <laughs> I'm going to do that today. <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. When you say appeal to culture, yeah. are, are you speaking of identifying those uh, aspects that maybe the culture deems as valuable, uh, like uh, you know something like women's rights or something, and then demonstrating how Christ is, you know, the, the pinnacle of, of, of how to treat women. I mean, you know, is that what you mean when you say appeal to culture? That's a very good question, and thank you. I, I see LSU on your hat, okay? And, and, and so I know you have a heart for, you know. Yes, for the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and if they're playing today, I, I'm serious, we're going to get you out of here before the game. <laughs> but, you see, that's what I'm going to be appealing to. Okay. Uh, and that will lead us to other topic. So this is why I have to listen uh, to your culture, to your, uh, to your desire. What are you interested in? And I want to be interested in what you are interested in. You know, like a young man came, and sometimes I behave, you know, when you read Jesus, you know, look at a woman at a well. I, I, I gave that example yesterday. Why would Jesus send 12 men to go get lunch? Have you ever thought about that? <laughs> 12 grown men to go get lunch. I know when they got to tacos, they started texting, hey, we got hot and soft tacos, so which one you want? You know, you know, and so Jesus texted by, oh, just get me soft taco. First of all, for Jesus to be with a woman, a Samaritan, a prostitute, I don't want to be around them. I don't want to be there. But what is Jesus doing? He's appealing to them. Can I have a drink? You, a Jew, asking a Samaritan woman for a drink? And Jesus said, well, if you knew. And guess what? After 26 verses, Jesus revealed himself for the first time to a prostitute. She ran in town, preaching, come see the man who told me everything that I ever did. Unbelievable. And the disciple comes in, what's going on? Yeah, here's her tacos. <laughs> and, and Jesus said, well, I have food to eat. That he, look, who, who brought him food? Well, look around you. And they're like, well, they're Samaritans. I, I, I know. They are people. They are my people. I'm going to die for them. So that's how you appeal to culture. You don't see them as Muslims. You don't see Islam. You see them as the lost sheep. That Christ needs them. If this guy, look, I mean, why would anybody now come here? Well, there's my wife. Uh, 
this much she's here so I will quote her but you know my wife said why would anybody spend five hours before TV watching big men in tights you know trying to kill one another that's football right <laughs> but I, if I'm going to appeal to them, I have to sit and watch big men in tights, you know, <laughs> because that's the only way I can appeal to them. That's the only way I can break through to them. See, I don't see them. I have to see them as God sees them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Yes, ma'am. How did you meet Jesus? And what was your family like? Oh, boy. <laughs> There was a young lady called Pauline Sonians from Sheraton, Iowa. A young woman like you went to Liberia. Blessing to the call, went to Liberia. But I've been researching, been reading about Christ and everything. Because of time, I'll make a shot. But if you want to hear more, we can go for lunch with my wife. You know, we will pray, you pay, and then we tell you. But it was from Philippians 4-7. So the first thing I did was memorize Philippians. You know, it's just four chapters. It's not a few verses there. So I memorized Philippians 4-7. And the peace of God that the human mind cannot understand, God took over my life that day. I gave my life to Christ. And one of the hadiths, uh, the hadiths is, they call it the traditions of Islam, says that when you become uh, a Christian or anything out of Islam, you become an apostate, you should be killed. And since I come from a culture that is shame-based, uh, when I become Christian, I brought shame on the village, I brought shame on, on the religion, I brought shame on my parents. So, I've been running since. And I'm still running. So that's what happens when you become uh, a Christian. And so when you witness to a Muslim, or witnessing to a Muslim, you have to keep that in mind. Uh, when Jesus said, and unless you leave parents, you, you forsake, unless you hate your father, your mother, test Christianity. This is what you're doing as a Muslim when you leave, because you live in culture, you live in history, you live in language, you live in food, you live in everything. And you come from a culture that is what? Collective. You come from a culture that is people-oriented. You come from a culture that is one that is helping one another. And now, if I break away from that culture, I come to Christianity. If it is in America, it is very individualistic. Uh, the first time we came, the first week, uh, Beth and I have to learn fast. Uh, because back home in Africa, when if this young man asked me, Hey, Tony, do you want to eat? You know, I would say no for the first time. And then he would say, oh, come on, eat. And then I would say no the second time. And I said, please, come, come, come. And then the third time, then I gave in. Okay, that's the culture I came from. And then I come here on America. Do you want to eat? I said, no. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to learn fast. And when these people, when you say no, it means no. And so so I, I learned that fast. They're not going to ask me three times. So, it's, so again, culturally, I have to learn that, and that Christianity is quite different here. Yes, sir. So how did you come to, so there's a short-term missionary from Iowa that did what? Oh, a dentist. <laughs> no, when you came to faith. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, Paulie Sonians. I was just telling her about, no, she was a long-term missionary. Oh, she was a long-term Yeah, and the one from Sioux City, Iowa, was a dentist on a short-term in a refugee camp where he met us. 
and I was preaching, and he said to my wife, oh, by the way, your husband can teach, but he needs a little bit of training. And he did everything for us. Took us on a refugee on a Friday. We got on the plane on a Friday. Got to New York on a Saturday. And when we got outside, I said, where are all these refugees going in New York? And they are well dressed up. You know, that was the first cultural shock. And then we... Uh, the next day, we were in Colorado. Monday, Beth and I were sitting in class. So that's in a nutshell. But again, missionaries connecting, uh, connecting people to Jesus and to one another. That is what's happening. But seriously, if you, if you want to be connected to Africa, to Latin America, literally where the church is today, please talk to me or talk to Charlie. Uh, we will do the connecting. Uh, uh, again, um, it takes time, like we say in Ethiopia, little by little, the egg will walk. Any other question? We still have time, so if you don't have questions, I'll still be talking. So, <laughs> But again, no, seriously, uh, Muslims are not difficult. Allah in, in, in Islam, Allah has how many names? 99 names. And there's not one that says he loves you. Can you imagine? Oh, I'm sorry. Can you imagine showing love to that person? Yes, sir. Uh, it's kind of a random question, but if you could ask God for one thing, what would you ask him for? Say that again. If you could ask God for one thing, what would you ask him for? <sighs> that I will. Paraphrase the question. Uh-huh. Um, if I was to ask God for one thing, what will I ask him for? That I will finish well. That I can say with Paul, I have fought a good fight. At the end of my life, I can look at my wife and say, Honey, I've been faithful to you. And I can tell God, I have fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. It is not what I preach, what I know, but have I remained faithful to him day out, day in. And if death comes, what's your name? Preston. Preston, if death comes someday, wherever, that I can honor God with the very life he has given me. Because it is not mine. That's my prayer every day. Yeah. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. No, the lady that led me to Christ, she was not uh, a dentist. Uh, the the uh, Larry T.G. who who helped us to come to the states was the dentist. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, but he he was uh, he reminds me a lot of Charlotte. He's uh, he always tell me he said he said these hands. You know, with, uh, with two hands in your mouth, what can you say back to me? You just have to either nod your head or you say yes. Okay. <laughs> but he's more dis- discipling. He come alongside. I mean, so many times he have helped me. Uh, in fact, the only way I could honor him is to invite him to Liberia. And he addressed both governments, you know, our Senate, our House and Senate together. 
I made it possible for him to come and address uh, our parliament. And he was so honored doing that. Uh, I love that man because he's always looking. It's like the, like Carl said yesterday, one person at a time. He will have ten people that he's discipling, but he will always meet with them one at a time. One person, one person. You see, each person is different. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I may have missed this. So sorry. I'm a little drowsy. No, please. <laughs> Okay. Okay, let me tell you something. No, uh, you don't snow. You are making a joyful noise onto the Lord. You know. So please. Do you live here? Yes, we just moved here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll be living here. If, if, if you want to find me out here, Charlie, what's Dr. Terry is not here. Yeah. But we'll be working with the church here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I made my first trip to Tomalee in 19, no, I'm sorry, 2005. So, no, I don't get to go. Part, mostly it's because of my position. I don't get to travel like I used to. But we, there's a whole cadre of dentists that now go around the world and do that uh, to train others on how to do dentistry. So, yeah. But we have. Yeah, okay. So um, so what we do is we partnered with the missionaries from Kenya, and they're there for three years. And they're connecting with the local church. And then as the local church understands that their role in that community, one of their responsibilities is, is to take care of the dental health of the people in their community, then we come in and we train at their invitation that church on how to do dentistry. And they establish a clinic. So when we train, then, you know, for six days, then we leave. But the work keeps going. And and so uh, they get retrained. There's always more churches to be trained. And as we go back, then the folks that we previously trained are the ones that are really helping us train a lot. So uh, just an example of the skill level they have. We're in India. There's four American dentists there. And... When, you, when a person grinds their teeth a lot, they clench their teeth. I don't know if you've seen that. The bone around that tooth gets very dense and very thick. So a patient comes in, and you can see he grinds his teeth, and he's going to. So I said, ah, I don't think we ought to take this tooth out because these guys are learning. But we had some students that we had trained 10 years earlier. So I said, well, we've got four dentists, including one oral surgeon here that um, can take this tooth out if the student can't do it. So after an hour and a half, the tooth is not coming out. Um, so we, um, they keep, we let them work, and after two hours, half of the tooth comes out. But there's still a root tips down, down in, the, in the socket. So we get there, all the American dentists, we take a shot at it. With our headlights and everything, and we, we're looking down in there. All four of us try. So it's another half an hour. So this poor patient has been through a lot, but actually they're doing pretty good. <laughs> so after two and a half hours, I was like, have you had enough? And they translate, and they say, no, you can keep going. Wow. That's all I can say. I couldn't get away with that here. 
<laughs> so I, we can't get it out. It's a root tip that's broken off obliquely. You can't see. So Sunil says, can I try? This Indian guy we had trained 10 years earlier, can I try to get it out? I said, no, the patient's been through enough already. So one of my colleagues said, just let him try it. Give him a shot. I said, okay. Fifteen minutes later, he gets that root tip out. That four American dentists couldn't get out. So that tells you the level of skill that, that, we're, uh, that these guys develop. So I'm not sure I answered your question, though. Because I got on tangents, and I learned that from Tony. <laughs> okay. Oh, we're all good then. That's great. Yeah. So that's good. All right, we have time for one more question if there's one in the audience. So, yeah. Yes, ma'am. You have a passport? Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Do you want to go on a trip with Tony and Beth? Well, we'll oh, okay. We're leaving tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. They're going to Liberia tomorrow. Yeah. No, but I'm serious. We can talk. Yes, we can. We can actually talk. You know, yeah. he's got a big problem. He's yeah. telling everybody he wants to talk to them. <laughs> and Americans are serious. No, but if you don't take them and pray with them and and and, and let them pay, invite them, then they're going to be offended. No, so you got to be careful about your invitations. No, when I say when I say I want to talk to you, I mean I'm worried about them whether they have time to talk. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> all right. He just spoke to 300 men this morning at 7 a.m. and a third of them want to talk to him, go to lunch with them. So <laughs> that's a problem. So. Yeah, yeah, and now he's going to Liberia. So, if you don't see me talk to Terry, Terry is right over there. Yeah, or talk to Charlie. So that's what I do. You know, just give Terry and Charlie name and then take (laughs) off. Yeah, Yeah. but I mean, really, uh, three things I want to leave with you briefly. First of all, for the past two and a half days, uh, the question is, ask yourself, what is God doing? What is God doing among all these people that you've been meeting? What is He doing? And then you ask the second question, who is He doing it through? And the third, how can I be part of it and not be in the way? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. We would really appreciate your feedback on. I've been able to go to a few sessions because my team is taking carrying the load, and I really appreciate it. It's amazing. Ozen Fuad's amazing information. Uh, so, uh, like, take advantage of it. These folks are willing to talk to anybody. John here is in West Af- I mean, Western Kenya. Amazing story. Um, 20 years ago, HIV was ravishing, ravishing the nation of, of Kenya. And because of the work that they're doing in western Kenya, the cure rate for HIV is amazing. The reoccurrence is higher in the U.S. than it is in Kenya now. So that's how effective um, the church can be when we address these issues. So, All right, uh, let me pray, and then we'll close. Lord Jesus, um, this was fun, and thank you for uh, the wisdom that you put in a friend like Tony that he can share with us. So I just pray for each one of us that these things you spoke to us about while we're here, um, 
in a sense, we would we would always come back to it, like you had um, in the Old Testament, as build altars uh, to remember what you said. So I pray, Lord, those altars are built uh, these last three days, and that we will not forget to remember what you told us during that time. And Lord, we do pray that you would uh, send us. Um, the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we're asking the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. Will you do that for your glory? Thank you, Jesus. Amen.